Good Wednesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and thank you kindly for joining us on Real Talk with Keith Smith. It's great to connect with you through the I Love Seville Network on a show presented by Yes Realty Partners, a show presented by Woody Fincham and Fincham and Associates. Today's program is dynamic. It airs on all social platforms, all podcasting platforms, where you, the viewer and listener, can offer some perspective. We're going to talk photography ownership on today's show. We'll talk the million-plus category in the Charlottesville, Albemarle, and Central Virginia footprint, and we'll take your questions like we always do on every show we produce out of this studio. Judah Wickhauer, not only a producer, but a contributor to the network. The man is wearing, is that an Ann Wickhauer original? No, it's not. This is not an Ann Wickhauer original. Uh, his mom is not just a fantastic mom, she's a clothing designer as well. If we can go to the studio camera and let's welcome a panel of talented proportions, in particular, Woody Fincham. Definitely talented. <laughs> <laughs> Me, not so much. Woody Fincham has been putting the work in the gym. The man, I think, in the last 51 days has dropped, I would say, 20 to 25 pounds. Nope. What are you much. at? I'm uh, about 12 pounds down. 12 pounds, yeah. and but then pure turning mu- stuff into muscle. I'm about to say, pure yeah. muscle, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> I wish I was the, the belt is on a different loop. Yeah. yeah I I'm, noticed that over there. Yeah, we're definitely uh, coming down a little bit. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, between good medication from the doctor, he's been helping out, and uh, just trying not to eat too much food out of a window has been most of what I've been doing. Oh, no drive-ins. Good for you. Yeah. So what do you eat usually on the road? Because you're on the road a He's lot. He's on the road a lot. Yeah, I mean, I keep protein shakes and protein bars. And, uh, you know, if I do stop, I, I'll grab a salad rather than grab a I don't sandwich. Know. The last time Woody Fincham was in the studio, I gave him props for looking lean. Today, I gave him props again for looking even leaner. Uh, he has done the New Year's resolution, and he may not be a resolution guy, but he's had a significant impact, I've seen. Yeah, Positive it, impact. It's definitely been going. I just did it because I needed to. My, my doctor, Dr. Quillian over at Pantops Medicine, uh, uh, has been really, really good about working with me on some stuff. So uh, i, I got to give him all the props on that. Well, at a certain age, when, you, the, when, you're, when your needle's past 60, it's just harder than hectic. To kind of keep it balanced, so that's what I've been reading. Yeah, they said that once you hit forty, man, it's like. Oh, well, he's nowhere close to that. No, forty? No, I'm almost he's 50. like twenty-eight. No, nowhere <laughs> close to sixty is yeah, what I I'm not. Almost fifty. No. So you know, today we've been getting a bunch of questions about the million-dollar and up market, particularly some stuff about cash. You know, how much cash is impacting that? So, um, you know, uh, uh, we, we're going to tap into Woody's beautiful brain there on talking about the million dollar and up market. But I don't know, Jerry, do you want to start off with the, with the photography that folks have been doing? Or which would you want to kick off? I'm happy to do that. You want, I, the photographer asked to remain um, anonymous for obvious reasons, um, and we will respect the anonymity. Uh, in fact, the photographer is watching the program literally as we speak. Um, here's the comment from the real estate photographer. Good morning. I want to maintain my anonymity with this question on today's episode of Real Talk, please. I am a professional real estate photographer in the Charlottesville area. I have found multiple occurrences of car agents copying photographs from past listings and reusing them. What can car do to police their agents to prevent this kind of copyright infringement? It would be nice if there were some training on the subject of who owns photos and who is allowed to use them, especially when it comes to listings and photos once they get online. Thank you. So the, 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 the first, let's answer the second half of that. This is very simple. Photos always, always, and always 
belong to the photographer. And it's in the contract. It's in Any the con- standard contract. It's in the contract. It's in the invoice. You are just uh, buying a licensing fee, right, right, to go ahead and use them. So, uh, you know, it, I mean, I, I'll just speak from my perspective because, uh, you know, I know that it's a, an MLS violation, and I'm not so sure it isn't an ethics violation also, but definitively. Oh, that's the definition of an ethics violation. Yeah, I mean, so, I, you know, so let's do a little PSA here and, and help the fellow real estate agents I mean, out. he would do that. So, oh, you're going to, oh, you're going to say Woody's PSA? No, I was going to say okay. uh, my PSA to real estate agents was that, you know, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, they're not yours. You shouldn't clone them. Even if the real estate agent gives you permission to do that, it is not the real estate's agent right. to do that. It is the photographers to go to do that. And most of them will, will say, okay, but you do need to make sure you get permission of the, of the photographer. I mean, this is intellectual property. I know, I know Woody's a bit of a, a amateur photographer. I know you do this professionally for a living. Yeah, this hits real close to home for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, of course, I'm speaking on my own behalf here. I can't speak on behalf of because I'm one of the board members with Carr. Uh, but I mean, it very likely could be an ethics problem. Uh, it's definitely a legal issue because it's a copyrighted uh, piece of art. I think a lot of folks don't realize with photographers, and I, and I think it's just in general anymore because of these things right here, our, our phones. Uh, everybody can take a great photograph anymore, um, and I think we just think about photographs as being a, as a toss away. But uh, as agents out there, just be really careful because you know you do need to get the photographer's permission to use their art because that's what photography is. It is a piece of art, uh, and they own all the rights to it. So make sure you you go through the right uh, channels and, and talk to the right people on it. So during the unicorn years, these things were just happening so quickly, folks have not had an opportunity to take a look at it. The fact that we're not in the unicorn years any longer, I, I've, I've received two phone calls from other photographers in the last few days asking me the same question to talk about this on the show. So, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, don't do it. And, and I think you're going to start seeing photographers starting to push the button uh, because, you know, this is how they make their living. You know, there's anywhere between 500 to to $1,000 worth of value um, that you are using that you should not be using. Yeah, very well said. So what's the next step? So the next step on that, um, uh, you know, uh, these individuals that call me, you know, my suggestion was if you're not a member of CAR, join CAR and, and make a complaint. You know, the only way that is ever going to get fixed is if somebody raises their hand and says uh, you shouldn't be doing this. The other alternative to do it for the photographers that are watching or the real estate agents that are watching that find out that their photos are being used, call the agent on the other side and say, take them down. Um, Take them down, spend the money, get your own photography. Dean Russell, welcome to the program. Peter Krabs, welcome to the program. Hillary Lewis-Murray, Jason Howard, John Snow, thank you kindly for joining us. Chad Wood, thank you for joining us. Uh, You have some agents watching us right now, so this is going to resonate with Carr. Trip Stewart, the real estate investor, welcome to the program. So, you know, some of it, you know, let's just kind of chalk this up that they don't know. Maybe they don't read their contract. That's a hell of a benefit of the doubt. Yeah, let's just try that for the moment. They don't read the contract, they don't read the invoice, and they don't know. So we are telling them right now. So you've got folks that are in the business of contracting deals that are in the business of contracts, not reading contracts. That's what we're saying. I've had lawyers that I helped buy houses for that never read the contract. So, so, uh, you know, I'm I'm not uh, thrown out there. But the reality of it is this is now starting to get closely looked at. 
don't do it. This is your PSA, public service announcement. If you're a real estate agent, don't do it. it, 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 it it's it's going to be very expensive if you do. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we'll go to a different topic here. Logan Wells. the most uh, grown-up moment we've ever had on Real Talk. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I know. Might be the only one, Woody. <laughs> I uh, love Woody Fitcher. Uh, okay. Logan Wells Claylo, welcome to the broadcast. Did you just That's what you did? Wow. I think he did. I think wow. he did. Wow. You have a theme for today's show, my friend. We do. We do. A million, million, million and up. Um, I'm, I'm going to let uh, Woody kick it off. I know you've done a lot of work on it, and I created a couple of slides focusing on mostly the million to two million range. I wanted to take a look at how things went, but Woody, I'll let you kick it off. Maybe we can have more grown-up moments, and we'll let you kick it off. Uh, nothing grown up about playing with statistics. I love uh, love doing analysis. So um, um, I, I didn't really prep any good slides for the show, um, but I've got a lot of data here that I wanted to talk about. And I broke it into two different um, sections, one for Albemarle County and one for Charlottesville, the city of Charlottesville. Um, you know, two very valuable markets uh, as far as the luxury stuff goes, but um, uh, very different because obviously once you get out into Albemarle, you get into the properties with lots of acreage usually. Um, just looking at Albemarle, we did a, a dive five years over the last five years, and uh, we looked at everything between a million and uh, up to 13 million. And this is only the sales that showed up in in a car. Uh, there are, have been other transactions that um, were privately done that never made it to car, but we didn't include any of those. <clears throat> Okay, awesome. So, I mean, uh, Judah, I'm going to start looking at album, the first page of what I sent you, which is oh, Albemarle. And, it's but it on just, screen. It shows, uh, you know, minimum price of, of a million, maximum price of, of $13 million. Uh, the funny part about it is the majority of it uh, was less than $2 million. Um, we had something like 900 sales total that we mm-hmm. looked at, and um, 750, I believe, were, were uh, between a million and $2 million. I would actually qualify luxury market probably being more than, than $2 million, $2 million or more. Uh, any more, a million dollars, gets you a really nice home, but it doesn't really get you what I would call, uh, for the most part, a luxury property. Totally agree. So you say that threshold's $2 million? Yeah, probably. That's probably. bananas. So, so yeah. I'll, add, I'll add to that. I think he's, he's 100% right. And I'll add to that because the numbers I crunched, 2023, there was a, between $1 and $2 million, there was 114 transactions in the car footprint. Mm-hmm. $2 million and up, 31 the crazy thing is the million to million five may be the new eight hundred to nine hundred thousand pre COVID. This is exactly why we want to talk yeah. about yeah. this today. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I mean VA got into the jumbo game a few years ago. They decided to start doing jumbos and that's really changed the playing field because I mean you can get into a, a VA jumbo with a relatively small amount of money into it. Um, you have a great big payment, but you know, not not a lot of uh, money coming into it. But um, looking at um, just some interesting statistics about the Albemarle market. You know, the cum- cumulative days on market, you know, most of the time it's zero. These properties basically make the MLS because the agents are putting them up there for information purposes. They're not really marketing through the MLS, which is not surprising to us that work in, the, in the, that niche because I think a lot of these transactions happen because they'll go to someone that works in the market like um, – like Faulkner or Loring or someone like that and go, hey, you know, I've got a property. And they'll go, well, I've got a buyer for that. You know, we know someone that would be very interested in getting it. And they just never hit the MLS other than just for informational purposes. Um, What's interesting uh, from characteristic point of view, we saw that uh, in Albemarle County that we were less than an acre up to over 900, almost 1,000 acres for for the range of acreage that we would see. But the average being around 24 acres. 
um, which that's pretty standard, I think. Uh, uh, total gross living area, we were showing a range between 500 square feet, which is really tiny, uh, to almost 12,000 square feet, with the, the average and median being right around 4,000. Um, half of the transactions were conventional, and half of them were cash. So cash is still carrying an extreme amount of weight in, in this particular uh, segment. Uh, we had six VAs and then 25 that qualified as other types of financing. And uh, Judah, I did give us a, a slide here with the album world pricing on it. Uh, it shows relatively flat. I mean, nothing's really changed in that market over the last five years. It stayed, it, it stayed pretty, pretty static. So is that, is that between a million and, and two million or, or the total? That's, that's everything. Yeah, so it's interesting. I did a, a, a preparing for today. I broke down a one million to two million to two million and up. And I'll jump in once you finish on yeah, sure. a couple of thoughts on that. Um, I mean, go ahead. I mean, that's, so, that's album roll in a nutshell for me. So if you don't mind putting up slide number one. So what, what I found interesting in this, so I was looking on slide number one. This is, thank you, Judah, Judah. The one to two million range is clearly where the volume is. To Jerry's mm. point, the one to two million range is the new 800 range or 700, Which is 700 sad, range. But, but if, you take, if you take a look at that slide, I broke it out for the total number of units, which is the yellow, the median days on market, which is the red, and the blue trending line is the number of cash, cash sales. So you can see basically just to stay on cash sales, to your point, you know, somewhere between 16 and 19, it kind of stayed somewhere in the up, low to upper 20s, right, percentage number of units, right? But once you start getting into 21 through 23, and even 23, you know, you're roughly around 55 units in 23. This is just one to two million, you know, round numbers. That's awfully ha close to half, 50%. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at the bigger market, it's, it's now going backwards, right? I'm seeing it anyway on my end, cash transactions, transactions that – you know, at a, at a more uh, reasonable, let's say a lower price point, they're jumping out of the 33 percentage range down to around the 20, 25 percentage range uh, for the last couple of months. I think that is mostly, I think cash is kind of cycling itself out of the market at that point. I may be wrong. I'd love your opinion on that. But, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at roughly 50 percent for 23, 22, and 21 of cash transactions. But take a look at the medium days on market, five in 23. Yep. Five. This is the one to two million range. I drop out new construction because that screws everything up. Um, 20, 22 and 21. Then 20, it jumps up to around uh, 40, 40 days. So the last three years, million to two million was on the market on as a median well under 25 days. Mm-hmm. This comment's come in, a little pushback on me. Um, Jerry, you sound um, out of touch saying eight to 900,000 and a million five and a million six are the same thing. Um, I'll respond to that and saying COVID dramatically changed uh, this market and values have escalated significantly since before the pandemic until now. And I'll also say um, with some intimate knowledge of the um, custom home building market and even the production building market, if you were going to come to market with a newly constructed home, I mean, price it out. A newly constructed home, if you price out, is going to be 2,500, 3,000 square feet perhaps. It's going to be 2 million, close to 2 million, a million five, million six. The homes that are selling right now that are in the million five range are potentially 2x that size um, and they have different finishes that you may not be getting today. 
It's just a completely right. different market. So I'll, absolutely, that's the reason yeah. I carved it out. You know, uh, custom <clears throat> on your lot. You know, you're in one two five one five. That's just at the starting point. That's entry. That's entry. Yeah. And just to put a little a little a pin in that, you know, normally and your and and, and Woody jump in. Normally, if I have a piece of land and I have a custom build that you hired a company I used to own to build to build to build it, that's just a house. That's not your septic. That's not getting your right. infrastructure to it. You know, if you're a thousand feet off the road and you're trying to bring power in, try pricing that out, folks. That's between six and twelve bucks a linear foot. That's just for the wire. <laughs> then you need to dig the trench and 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 put it in. But to, to, just to follow through on that a little bit, Judah, put slide one back on. I, and not to put words in, we're being so adult today. Not to put words in Jerry's mouth, but if you take a look at six, the volume, the total number of sales, and I think this is the point he's trying to make, between 16, definitively 19, which is pre-COVID, that's the point you're talking about. You're at between 1 and 2 million, 35, 50, 45, 59, 20, it jumps up to 87, 21. He's talking units. Thank you. Uh, 21, 124. 22, 116. 23, 114. That's a large percentage of sales in the car footprint. So this is Charlottesville, Albemarle, Fulvana, Nelson, and Green. I think I got them all. Louisa. 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 So in, in any event, so that's the point I think you were try, trying, trying to make. But, you know, what's stunning to me is the cash amount of cash yeah. that's in the market at that price point that people are buying between one and two million roughly 50 percent of them in 23 were cash i mean since covid viewers and listeners whether we want to admit this or not since covid the uh, the number of out-of-market buyers has just increased and it's increased in a way that's changed the landscape of the market i mean i'm looking at my neighborhood and the folks that literally are my direct neighbors two or three of them sold either Georgetown townhomes or Manhattan uh, brownstones and came down and said, this is cheap, and not only bought the house in cash, but then put a couple hundred, 300000 into the house and still were left with a sizable delta in savings. Yeah. They're changing the landscape of the market. So, I mean, we, we live in a awesome place. And people, it's coveted. People are seeing that, and they're, they're coming here. I mean, you can... with. All the infrastructure we've got here with high-speed internet and things like that, I mean, you can work from home. It's just a great place to, to have a family. If you're going to be raising children or, or just want to enjoy the mountains, I mean, you're, we're a couple hours from the beach. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great place to live. Oh, supervisor Price will give her some pro- – or former Supervisor Price, friend of the program, Donna Price, watching the program. Hey, Donna, how's it going? Good to talk to you yesterday. The, uh, but look, look, we, we want to be sensitive, right? We understand this is one of the struggles with talking this type of price point because there's not, it, it leaves out the folks that can't afford it. But I just want to talk about the lower end of the market. I just, we, the land trust just put the, and thank you to Woody for helping us with the appraisal. The land trust just put 20 lob lolly under contract. I did it in three days. We had 50 people wow. call, 50 real estate agents call. And every single one of them were, were, where's more? Well, the way to help that is, I'll make a shameless plug, give the land trust a little bit more money, and we can go ahead and, and do that. But there is a frustration out there. You know, let's call it what it is. We can't provide housing for the people that mostly need it. The, the, the one to two million buyer, you know, they're in a position they, you know, they can 
they can buy, maybe not buy, or wait, or how, whatever it is. But the people that have to buy, and we're help, we helped uh, so, so far uh, a, 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 a single mother with a, a home out there on 20 Lob Lolly. So That's awesome. We'll see. Uh, this comment's come in. Woody said the threshold for luxury was $2 million. Why does he think that? Just looking at how the data is populating, I mean, um, you can buy a very nice house for $950,000. There's nothing wrong with a home at that price point, but it's just not qualifying in the luxury realm anymore. Luxury to me, um, and I do a lot of bespoke real estate. That's kind of the bread and butter of my practice. Um, you're, once you get to $2 million, you're starting to get into if it's just a standard size home, say 3,500 square feet, but you're going to have finishes in that property that are a lot of imported things, a lot of very unique things. Um, you're never going to usually see a kitchen below commercial quality in something like that. Um, there's a lot of features in a property like that that you're just not going to see. Media rooms, I mean, I walk into some of the media rooms in, in some of these homes and I'm just like, holy, I would, I mean, I've talked about on the show before how much I love movies. They're better than movie theaters. Yeah, they are. I mean, yeah. they really are. I mean, you've got Crutchfield coming in. You've got custom uh, audio coming down from New York, Virginia Beach, wherever. Uh, I mean, international companies that are doing the, the sound systems in these places. And uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful piece of property. So let's talk about that $2 million and plus market. If you wouldn't mind, please put it on slide two. Jude, I'd appreciate it. So what we're looking at here it's the two million up car footprint, right? Uh, Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors. Look at that, Jerry. I got it right. You didn't very uh, well. Um, <laughs> two million, two million and up. So, so take a look at the blue line, right? So this is the median uh, values. This is two million dollars up to unlimited, right? So we're we're hovering somewhere, you know, between sixteen and twenty three. It's pretty consistent. Twenty was a bit. Twenty and eighteen was a bit of a bump to three point five million. But for the most part, that price, you know, that averaging out is somewhere around two point five. Mm -hmm. To your point, right? It's roughly averaging about two point five. But just take care. Of, look at the number of sales, right? So we're like we're like fifteen. We're we're ranging from two two. We're going from hold on a second. Thirteen, eleven, twelve, eighteen, nineteen. A 19 on 21. So we don't get to over 30 until 22, 23, we we're, we're approaching 30. So the volume of units are just super low. And that's the reason I broke it out between a million and a two, because if you, you know, that, that's just a big difference between 114, 1 million to two, and then only 31 for 2 million and up. It tells me that's where the bulk of the market is. This yep. is a great question for Woody and Keith. Um, same viewer the pushback on me so if eight if a million five is the new eight hundred thousand what's the new price for starter then and how can we all keep up so we should talk uh the new price for starter then i mean i would say that probably has a four in front of it well i mean if you want to get into the very the threshold of starter let's look at manufactured homes we've been doing a lot of those out in louisa and buckingham um, they've got these new things called cross mods that are manufactured, and they they are manufactured homes that have uh, ceramic tile, drywall. I mean, they're built almost like a stick built home. Uh, they are they are starting at three fifty, yeah. and that's on a two acre you know piece of land out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you want to get into really st where, st where starter homes are, that's where you're going to be. Um, we I mean, use Charlottesville, Almore. I mean, when you get into there's a four in front of it. I mean, all day long. I mean, you're going to get a townhouse, and it's going to be an interior unit, and, you know, it's something that uh, it's great for you to start with, but you'll probably end up either converting it into a resale or into something you're going to hold for a rental later on. But the question is, is that a starter home? 
Not for most people. I mean, I look at starter homes as, you know, if you get to, uh, a police officer and a school teacher, they have a household together, can they afford $400,000 a year? Probably not. No. So I can speak – so this is a great topic. I can speak to this a little bit. In order to hit 80% of our area medium income, which is at today's rate, mortgage rate, your purchase price is probably somewhere between 225 and 250 Yeah, that doesn't exist. And it just doesn't exist. And so the, the short answer to that is starter homes don't exist in our marketplace. The land trust is a great model, Habitat, all these different folks. But these are one-offs. These are onesies right. and twosies. You know, these are not hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. And, you know, this is, in my opinion, in order, and, you know, get on my soapbox here for a minute. In order for us to fix this crisis, because I think this is a crisis. Definitely. We need to do something similar to what happened after World War II. Right. When they went in, the, you know, the government kind of stayed out of the way. Levittown went in. All these big developers went in and developed projects. I just read a thing on uh, Inman this morning. It's projected in 2024 the cost of construction to go up another 6%. Wow. That's not cost of materials. That's regulatory. Expenses. Well, I was having this conversation with uh, uh, a mortgage broker yesterday. Um, Rates have gone up again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a little bit of reprieve following the October high of 2023. October, um, economists have called the most unaffordable month in American history, October 2023, to purchase a home. Rates were flirting with 8%, and values were sky high. Then we saw some reprieve as the speculation was the Fed was going to cut rates. We got below 7, but they're back over 7 again. And, 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 and the buyers are still there buying homes. Brother, um, 69 homes just went under contract yeah. in the last 70 They're still buying homes. Yeah, yeah. It's not that seven. It's just what it does. It carves out the people that can't afford it, right? They just can't afford it. But that's the reason why, you know, we're closer to 225, maybe 250. Really, the magic number is 215 with today's interest rates to hit this 80% of area medium income. And remember what that number is, right? That's a big number. It's 123, 300. And that was the 2022 number. We haven't seen the new numbers yet. The 2023 number will be higher. I'm still baffled that that's higher than Miami. I mean, <laughs> I would have never thought that. Well, it's a volume thing, right? Sure. You know, it's like us looking at these numbers, right? You know, it's, it's it, the, the two to two million and up, you know, we're only looking at, you know, Nine, excuse me. There's been nine sales from the beginning of this year to now that are over, that are over between one and two million, and there's like two that were over two million. So it's just, it's a volume thing that changes the percentages, but they have just way more people. Well, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm going to be a little funny here. It may be a bit of a nerd, but I'm wondering uh, a soccer nerd. Uh, I'm wondering if the Messi and Beckham effect in Miami is going to change that at all. You know, with Messi being there now, they. Uh, I wanted to get tickets to go see him play DC United. Is it 10x the original price? Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. I'm not going. You're going? (laughs) I'm not going. (laughs) I can't afford it. So we've got Messi and Taylor. Is that what's (laughs) happening here? Taylor Swift and Messi. Taylor Swift, the impact in the National Football League. Messi, one of the best football players in football history, soccer history. Why paid some obscene number? Right? Uh, the entire league is, is uh, support. Every team is paying towards a salary. It's and, really? and you know what? It, it, it's pretty much justified oh, yeah. for the impact he's having on MLS. Uh, it, it was so significant when he's – they had to uh, negotiate a contract with Apple to help 
finance Messi coming to the MLS. Really? That and he will not yeah. play on artificial turf. Right. The man has that kind of clout and influence. And it has driven return on investment for the MLS and all the clubs in the MLS. Well, it's about time. I mean, soccer like, needs to get a boost here. I remember when Pele came when I was a Pele. kid. Some plaster from the past over there, Fincher. Well, I, I, well he, what team was he playing in New York? Because I went to go see him. The Cosmos. Yeah. Cosmos. Yeah. I remember that. New York, as, New Jersey. I was a little Cosmos. guy. I got to go see him. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Watch Pele. Watch Pele playing. You know, as a as a kid from New York, we didn't know what the hell this sport was until you watched this guy play, and it was pretty awesome. Um, we also got to watch Willie Mays play. So <laughs> Stephen watching the program to get us back to real estate here. He Sorry. says, "Then what's the trade up market?" After, after starter home. I'll call it. I'll give some insight here. I think what Steven, Steven is alluding to is the move-up market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, so I think that's been soft for a while, right? You know, that, that there's a few opportunities at the entry level. There's on the upper level. But what we're talking about move-up move up is you bought a home five years ago for three or $400,000. You got a bunch of equity. Now you're looking to buy. You know, the average property owner in the United States right now has about $300,000 worth of equity sitting in their home. Excuse me, appreciation. Not, not equity. In their home uh, on the its average, own. The average homeowner probably has more equity. Um, from appreciation, he's talking value uptick. And 68% of every, of every loan in the United States has either 50% of their loan paid off or zero. Somewhere mm-hmm. between zero and 50%. So there's a large chunk of cash that's out there, which is part of why you're seeing these cash transactions so high to, to, you, to your point. But, you know, um, the move up is interesting. I mean, I'll take a look at what went under pending while somebody talks just to talk about what the median sales price was for pending. I mean, you know, the move up market is, I don't think you're, you're, it's as strong as it has been just because folks with a 2.9% interest mortgage, they can look at what they can afford to move up into. And they're just like, I, I really don't. I mean, my wife and I, we, we pay two thirty for our, uh, a four two and a half colonial in Lake Monticello. You pay what? Two thirty. It's worth over four fifty now. Oh yeah. Sure. I mean, every penny of it. And I've got a rate at two point nine percent fixed. Why would I do? Why would I move? Except for life changes. That's what this is. What this is all about. There's life changes. I don't even think if he had life changes, he would get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, well, I would hold it as a rental, if, yeah, if anything. Yeah. Well, and that just makes the circumstances worse. Right. Right? You know, That's another house that won't be available. That's another house that won't go into inventory. They're, you know, they're not a lot, you know, I'm, hopefully on Friday we're going to have um, uh, Jim Friedel, who's the planning director for Greene County, and Neil join us. I'm kind of working on that today because we want to talk about where the next series of new construction is going to be, right? Uh, in my opinion, it's Greene County. There's a ton of homes in the pipeline over there, and I kind of wanted to get it from the horse horse's mouth per se but look uh what is went pe- the 69 homes that went pending this is the full car footprint the median uh price uh, and we don't know what it is because that's a closure it was 425 average was 523 mm. right so it, to jerry's point it's got a four in front of it right for now, a starter uh, it's got a four in it every yeah. the median sale the uh price on uh uh that went pending. Now I can take a look at what went the contract in the last seven days because those have closed. Let's see what that looks like, and I'll tell you. Yeah, there you go. It's right there. Four seventy nine 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 nine. Yeah. Let's call it four. Half a million dollars. It's a it's a roughly a half a million. The average was six twenty one. By the way, Nicole Allen watching the program. She loves the Messi drop. She says I'm a soccer fan now because of Messi. There the beautiful go. game. 
Uh, she's watching the program right now. Christopher Posey, Zeke Mora given Woody Fincham some props right now. Randy O'Neill has this question. Randy, we appreciate your question. Does the panel know how many homes are on the tax delinquent list and how many are showing up at auction? I don't. I don't, know I don't follow that. that that closely. Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, unfortunately, I do. Yeah. It's in our car footprint. You might as well just call it zero. It just doesn't really happen that much for multiple reasons. One is nobody wants the political backlash of of doing that, but it's just simply not enough because at the end of the day, um, it's much like the foreclosure rate. It's just anemically low right at, at, right. The, at the peak we were at two million nationwide units i think we're at something like three hundred thousand somewhere between 250 and three hundred thousand that are either in the foreclosure process or whatever so look at the end of the day if they're delinquent in taxes they're just going to sell it um cash out and move on richmond on the other hand is a different story uh there's a there's anywhere between two depending on how you talk, talk to two to three thousand units in the city of Richmond, most of them have been abandoned for a long time. Right. Uh, have you know, and they're, the city of Richmond is going in, taking them, putting them into a land bank, um, and then sending them out to land trusts and stuff like that. Uh, this comment's come in. John Blair, welcome to the show. Jason Howard on Rail Road. As far as new inventory, how much of the demand for housing is being met by the new developments on 29 North Point and Brook Hill? Every time I drive by there. There's more developments and build-out happening. I will also add, um, between where Keith and I live in the Keswick area, uh, Breezy Hill, yeah. uh, some new inventory from Southern is going to come to market. How an additional 80 to 100 units um, in that corridor are going to impact quality of life? That's a topic for a different show. Yeah, I, I, but we're talking about where the product is going to be, and, and that product is not going to be at the sub-400 level, no. right? Every bit of that's middle-class or upper-middle-class market. I mean, North Point, we've done a bunch of the uh, stuff in there, a lot of VA in there, actually, and uh, none of that, that's all move-up stuff. That's, none of that's even approaching affordable. So, so uh, and we can dig the, the, I can try to dig the slides out and send them to Judah, but we did a show some weeks ago that focused on the new construction in the area, and we were talking about... Uh, single-family attached and detached. Attached is making a, a strong comeback, because to your point, that's where kind of an entry level. We have mm -hmm. several clients that have done that. Uh, but look, the volume of units in 29 North, now let's stay away from traffic and impacts and all this stuff, just to help solve the housing shortage that we have, it's just not enough. Right Now, UVA's got 1,500 coming up, right? So UVA just had North uh, Fork approved. So they'll be building some units up over there by the by the airport, but this, the need is just so great that you know we. When I read this article this morning, that six percent of construction costs is projected to go up this year, strictly from regulatory requirements, it's just not going in the right direction. Which is only going to drive um, cost up, yeah. purchase price for existing homes. Yeah. People are going to be like, I can buy this home for this, or I can construct a new home for considerably more. Why don't I just buy the existing house for this price? Mitchell, is it Kapoulis? Yeah. Uh, Mitchell's watching the program. He says, Woody, we have been running out of sales data here in Baton Rouge, which is causing problems for the residential appraiser. Starter homes over 300000 with higher interest and insurance rates are the main issues. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a national issue almost everywhere. Um, there's just nothing... There's just no way to have affordable housing in a lot of these markets. Uh, 
Uh, and it, it bothers me and stresses me quite a bit because, I mean, you know, in the next five years, what's, where are we going to have folks, you know, waiting tables and cooking and, you know, even school teachers? I mean, they're just, they, they're being priced right out of the market. So to, to kind of take it, I have a saved search file set up that has all the car footprint, the other side of the mountain in Buckingham, mm-hmm. just for new construction. So the ent- what's available right now, the entry level for new construction is in Stanton. Did I say that right? Staunton? Stanton? Stanton. Stanton. 284.9. That's a, a, I'll tell you here, it's a single family detached, 1,300 square feet. There are some affordable things over the mountain. I mean, we do a lot of work for the VA between um, Lexington and up to Shenandoah County. And when you get into Page and you get into uh, Rockbridge and Rockingham and Augusta, they uh, even NVR product over there, I mean, you can, you can get a townhouse, or you could at one point, uh, and I think it was Crimora is where they were building, uh, like 250, 300. Um, so, so right now in Waynesboro, you can get a townhome for 280. Uh, Atlantic Builders is building at mm-hmm. 288, 533. But out of 185 available to buy right now, only the first five have don't have a three in them. So the first five are between 284 and 290. And those are new construction. This is new construction. So those them. are likely just base model pricing sure. that they're going to increase at some point when they go under contract. Sure. And then we start going to three and, and, and change on that. Comments coming in here. This one, uh, actually, you know what? How about a question from me for Woody? Out of curiosity. Sure. Personal curiosity. Does a pe- a, a listing that goes pending in a short period of time, we're talking 48 hours or under, have the same um, credibility or legitimacy for an appraiser as a home that went, that closed within the last month? So the answer to any appraisal question is it depends, right? We have to qualify <laughs> the data. Um, if it's gone under, it's not unusual for a property to go under contract that fast. I mean, there's just not enough inventory. So that's kind of the status quo. Um, if something sits on the market for a really long time, uh, I'm looking at that data going, okay, what's going on with it? Is there something they're not putting in the listing? Because, you know, listing agents are trying to sell a piece of property, so they always focus on the positives. They don't necessarily get into the, uh, the negative stuff. So if something's been on the market for, say, 90 days and everything else is under 10 days, I'm going to start asking questions about that sale. Is there some duress with the sale? Is there some extenuating circumstance with it? But, I mean, I don't really pause when I see something even go under contract in a day because, I mean, we see so many properties doing that right now. It's sort of status quo. So, so the, pending, the pending comp has the same credibility in the appraiser's eyes as the closed comp? No. So, and I have to qualify this, too. Closed sales are consummated sales. They've happened. We know that that's the actual factual data where it's going to close. Um, on a pending sale, I'm going to call the agents. Uh, if I know who the, the buyer's agent is, I'll give them a ring and say, hey, can you tell me a little bit about it? They're not able to disclose to me, or they're not supposed to, what it's under contract for. Is it the same thing they're not supposed to use the pictures? I'm sorry. Because <laughs> you're basically saying with the pending comp, stuff could still happen. Right. Yeah, I mean, it could definitely not close. I mean, things happen. Um, and... But we do give weight to them. We just don't give as much weight to them. And as the market, if we do a very in-depth market analysis whenever we're appraising anything. And so I can tell you by the day in a particular subdivision how much it's increasing or decreasing or if it's stable. Um, That's awesome. So, I mean, if I've got pending sales that are continuing to support that trend, then I'll give weight to them. But I'm going to give most of my weight to my solds. Uh, and we do even when we're doing our analysis, we also give weight to active listings. 
because it tells us what's going on right now in the market. Um, huh. But uh, all of it's relevant data, but the most important data is going to be the, the closed sales. Follow-up question for you. Mm-hmm. I learned from you. I love this. Okay. Um, I absolutely love this. Does the closed comp that's new construction and a closed comp that's existing construction, how do you weigh them with the scales of justice in the appraisal world uh, when you're using that data to value another house that's existing construction? So new construction, most of the time, is within its own competitive niche. You're not usually going to see existing homes uh, competing directly with new homes. There's exceptions to that. Of course, you get into Spring Creek, it's, you'll, you'll have some exceptions. That, like, let's look at Glenmore, where you live. The newer sections in Glenmore are different than the existing. I mean, they're just different product all the way around. Um, and they don't necessarily compete with one another. I mean, someone who's wanting to move into the newer section... Um, they're looking for something different than the, the stately or gentry type uh, real estate that you're going to see in, in old. Like Glenmore. a brick Georgian versus like a exactly. craftsman style. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, you're generally not going to have the same consumer base there. Okay. And then, uh, Keith, I know you have, I love this guy. I got to follow up for him again here. What is the value of um, parcel size in the appraisal world? Is whatever the market says. So, okay. I mean, like, again, going back to Glenmore, the size of the lots they're putting the new homes on are much smaller than what you're so seeing. So much smaller. For, for, the, for the original section. So, um, again, we wouldn't compare one, both of them to one another, uh, usually. Um, but generally speaking, um, uh, if you're in a market where everything is, say, an acre in size and you have something that's an acre and a half in size, there's probably going to be some additional value to it, but you can't really do much more with it. So it ends up being what we call a surplus. That's acre. what I want to know. It's surplus versus excess. Excess means I can take that extra piece of land, cut it off, and sell it and do something else with it. Surplus is just it's a little bit more of something. So, I mean, like anything, a little bit more of something is usually going to have more value, but it's not going to be a tremendous amount of value. Fantastic stuff. Answered my questions well. It's like he does this professionally. Yeah, <laughs> I have to make underwriters believe me. So, <laughs> and he's a he actually teaches this as well. Yeah, I get to do a little traveling this year. Talking about going to what Idaho now, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, I was talking to a fellow this morning about New Orleans and New Orleans. I'll take. Yeah, it's it's fun time. Um, uh, where else are we going this year? There's a lot of places on, on possible happening this year for us. So let's talk about opportunities. Like, because it, it came up, right? While you guys were chatting, I was just playing around with Waynesboro and the new construction and focusing a little bit on this 204 Cheshire Lane, right? So it's available for 288 535 um, to Woody's point um they've actually specced everything out mm-hmm. so um you know you're going to walk in there with pretty good build the great fittings i don't see oh that. yeah atlantic does a very nice i do model. not see that price going up much more o- over that uh, but you know if you live at that address and work at uva i, I went on the trust of google you're about 30 to 35 minute drive yeah i mean the only issue you guys got- that's what we do from yeah, yeah, here, right? yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that drive. The only sticking point with that drive is Afton Mountain when there's a problem, you know. But, <laughs> but this is a great opportunity if you want to get into the game and mm-hmm. get into the home ownership thing. Here's an opportunity to get a townhome. It's, you know, it's not a single-family detached, but you get started. The four transactions I did in December were all exactly the same thing. The price point was much higher because they were in Crozet, but they're going to be in the house, live in it, have their first, these are young couples, have their first child, either retain it as a rental, sell mm-hmm. it and make the, make 
uh, money off of it and then move up the housing ladder and to buy a single family detached as their their form form so I, it's not a lot, but there is an opportunity that's about thirty to thirty-five minutes away. We shouldn't under we should we should caveat that with the escalating costs of fuel and how it adds to the essentially house payment. It's so just a different line item of overhead. And there's a great app, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. We've talked about this before, where you can plug in the miles, the type of the vehicle you have. I'd have to Google it to find it. That tells you what the cost is on. There's it. always right. an app for everything. The right? true cost. <laughs> the, the true cost. Yeah. How much? How, how much you're? How much you're paying for the car loan? How much you're paying for fuel? How old's your car? How many miles it is? And it says, you know, it's X dollars. And then you cut that. Because that's basically part of the mortgage payment. Oh sure. Sure. I mean, uh, when I was the uh, assistant assessor for Albemarle, well, that's what brought us uh, to the Charlottesville area. We, um, half of my staff lived across the mountain. Uh, we had three or four of the appraisers on staff would just carpool over together every day. You know, it's, it was just a, a better solution for them. Comments coming in here quickly for Woody Fincham. Um, is most of his appraisal business um, in that upper category that's he talking about? No, we, we are very diversified as a firm. So we've um, about half of my business is going to be standard lending work, the other half being uh, mostly uh, private work, which would be you know, doing litigation support, uh, trust work, um, estate planning, that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, like today, I mean, all of my appointments today that I've got after the show are all private use. Uh, none of it's lending work. Um, do a tremendous amount of VA work. I mean, I love VA because it's it's a way to help the veterans out that are uh, have given a lot for us to to, to help them, um, which is kind of a loss leader for us because, like I mentioned, we do a lot over in the valley. But for what the VA will allow us to charge for it, we really don't make a lot of money on, on VA. In some cases, we're that. breaking even. I was going to say that, but um, I, I see it as as a way to give back. So that's that's why we we've we're in some counties we are the only VA appraiser that they have. Um, so I'm happy to do it. But um, we, we do about half and half. I mean, uh, when uh, I had my, my other office and, or my previous business in Virginia Beach, uh, we put way too many of our eggs in the lending basket. And when the market went bad in 2007, um, it wasn't fun <laughs> at all. So, uh, uh, How does the lender diversify? The who? The lender. Um, I don't know. I have an answer to your travel costs. I just found the calculator. So if you live at this house, work at UVA, have a... Um, this is the Waynesboro house? Waynesboro house. <laughs> um, I figured out the round trip miles, how many days they work, small sedan, uh, miles per gallon is 24. I did $3.5 per gallon. It's about close. Maybe I'm a little low on that. Um, figured about $500 a month in, in payment for your car. That number cost you. That cost you eight hundred and twenty-seven dollars and thirty-six cents a month. Holy! For, for the car. vehicle, that's your cost. Just just on the vehicle to drive back and forth, fuel and all that stuff. And that's a boatload of money. And and let's assume every month. That's every month. Let's assume your car is paid off. It's just paid off. You're yeah. paying three hundred and twenty-seven dollars and thirty-six cents. That doesn't include insurance, right? That's just your commuting cost of round trip fuel on it. Uh, they've, they calculate in a maintenance per month, um, all that kind of great stuff. So it's it's somewhere between three twenty five and three fifty, and that's at zero. That's at, that you own the car straight out. Once you start X adding in financing costs, that goes up. Well, just think about it from a, a normal you know work per per hour person. 
that, that's doing that, I mean, typically they're going to get a 60-month loan. You're going to wear your car out way before 60 months. Yeah. To go back and forth that far. Definitely. Yeah. That's, and, and that should be considered. Uh, so the, I just cut that in half, right, your round trip. So instead of doing the round trip, I just cut it in half, which means <coughs> a little bit closer. You save $175. I mean, this is a, literally a conversation my wife and I are having uh, over the dinner and breakfast table on almost in every other day, the drive and the commute, especially as she's uh, driving a 14-month-old and a 6-year-old to and from school, daycare, all this stuff, crying baby in the car. It's adding up to like between two and three hours of drive time for her every day. This does not include That's brutal. This does not include your time. This is just cost. Yeah. Right. So if you were to cut your travel in half from that thing and be on this side of the mountain, you would save yourself a hundred and seven roughly hundred and seventy five dollars, which you could tack on to a mortgage end and buy something a little bit. That's why I use this. But the lender doesn't see it that way. Well, we're assuming. We're assuming the buyer's qualified. We're assuming the buyer could do this. This is, you know, as you know, there's two conversations. It's how much the lender will let me borrow. That's it. And how much I really want to spend. Right. Right. right? So this is the I, what I really want to spend department. The lender don't look at this. They don't, they don't care how many miles you spend in, in a car. Right. They're going to look at Woody's appraisal. They're going to look at your credit weatheriness. And they're going to lend you money. Right. There's three other than cash, there's three entities that require a transaction. Buyer, seller, and Woody, right? Um, every transaction requires you, Woody. Uh, so this is your cost. Actually, of they don't. I, I know. I know uh, Which, you should talk about that because most people don't know that. What's it, off-market cash deal between neighbors? Well, no. I mean, even the GSEs, the Fannie, Freddies of the world, um, they're going to a lot of alternative valuation products now, and they're also waiving appraisals. Uh, I mean, if you've got an 800 credit score and you're putting down, you know, 40 percent, they, they, some, some situations they don't need to have an appraisal. They feel like that. Um, uh, 800 credit score, 40 percent is somewhat of an anomaly. Yeah, but I mean, it happens. Uh, and, and and in a market like where we live in Charlottesville, we have a lot of well-qualified consumers. I mean, they um, probably more so per capita than you would see in most markets. So, so I, I can tell you on transactions that we do like that, we end up getting an appraisal anyway. The buyer yeah. wants to know what the heck they're buying. I mean, we, we'll do two or three million dollar sales all the time where, you know, the, the borrower uh, or the buyer, rather, they're not borrowing money. They get an appraisal just because they want to know what position they're in when they buy it. Jerry, is there any uh, uh, loan officers watching today? Oh, let me check. Uh, Dean Russell was watching the program. I saw Andy Zeman watching the program. I saw Tom watching the program. So my question for a loan officer out there, if I have <coughs> an extra $175 a month to put towards my mortgage, right, on it, how much more house can I buy, right? So if I've got, a, if I can add 170, assuming my debt to income ratio works, my credit score is good, right? I don't have 40 million dollars worth of credit card debt, right? You know, I'm, I'm and I, I want to live on this side of the mountain, and I add 175 dollars to what I can borrow from a monthly perspective. How much more house can I buy versus, say? Two eighty-eight, three hundred thousand dollars, whatever that is. That—that's my question, and we should save that. If somebody can chime in, that would be great. I know there's a ton of variables, but the question is: is how much does one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars more buy us? Uh, comments coming in. Uh, we're going to get to yours, Rob Neal, here in a matter of moments. I want to follow up for Woody. What is uh, private appraisal work consist of? 
So um, we'll get phone calls from uh, attorneys that are dealing with partition situations where, you know, heirs to a property or, or co-owners of a property, one wants to buy the other out, but the other one doesn't want to sell. So that the only way for them to, to do the sale is to basically go to court and sue one another. Um, so we do a lot, fair amount of that work. Um, you know, if, you've, uh, if you're the trustee of an estate, you have to do diligence uh, evaluations every year or two. Um, your CPA is going to go to you and say, hey, look, you know, we need to know how your position's changed as the market's changed. Um, conservation easement work is something we do a little bit of um, uh, any type of litigation. I mean, we've done cases here locally where someone has decided to put a sp- what they call a spite fence up where it would block someone else's view uh, because they don't like their neighbor. Uh, we've, we've, we've been involved with that kind of thing. Condemnation situations where road widenings are taking uh, some, um, some of the property or they're putting an easement on the property to maintain a roadway or utilities or something of that nature. Uh, just all kinds of things, anything you can imagine. Um, uh, Keith, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I know. So I just recently, to talk about this um this divorcing thing, right? Mm. I just recently did an off-book transaction in Scottsville, part of um, Altmore County, where I was called by three different attorneys because the brother and sister couldn't agree on the value of the house. Right. And they literally went to court. Mm-hmm. And then the, the judge <clears throat> assigned the sale on it, and I was asked to come in and, and help it. And we, did, we kind of navigated and negotiated it uh, off-book to kind of one was buying it from the other, and right. they wanted a third-party person and that it understood how real estate works to go ahead and do it. So I was, I was fortunate enough to have three real estate, excuse me, three real estate attorneys think enough of me to hire me yeah. to do that. But, um, this is a, not an uncommon thing. No, uh, I mean, we, we do it all the time. Um, uh, divorces, of course, um, yeah. you know, uh, you inherit a piece of property because you're one of your, your parent has passed away. Um, you're now, your CPA or your attorney is going to want to know what your stepping off position is. So what's the value of the property when you take over uh, uh, inheriting the property? And then, you know, if you're going to do something with it later on, they may want to know the value when it started and now the value now. It's been a couple years later. So we, we do quite a bit of that kind of work. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's good work. I mean, I, I really, we, we love to do it. I mean, I, I want to highlight this. The appraiser has such... Um perhaps of a market advantage in the real estate supply chain because of the ability to diversify revenue streams. Here, not, not really, though. Uh, well, I'll put this in perspective. I asked the, the lender question, how does a lender diversify? Um, and I won't utilize... Well, I mean, I think she, she published this. So Sarah Hill Buchensky, mm-hmm. um, she's a realtor. She would know about the lending business for obvious reasons sure. as well. Um, she says... The lender diversifies through side jobs, huh. meaning side jobs outside of real estate. That, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like really not does. within lending. I mean, lending is a very specific skill set. So, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to add to uh, add to that. I received a phone call yesterday from a loan officer, which I will leave the name out of it, that wanted to know if we would hire them to do transaction coordination uh-huh. in the evenings because the volume of business is such that they, and it's not a conflict, but we decided that it was not a good fit and thanked them for their time and, sure. and moved on. But to, to, to your point, everybody is trying to, to diversify here. You know, this picture thing we started to show off is, 
show off, and I'm just going to say it, is indicative of where the market is and where the market is going. According to the Mortgage Bankers Association, total loan application volume plunged 10.6 percent compared with the previous week because rates are upticking. Yeah, sure. And that means there's probably going to be a fair amount of people coming out of that profession and trying to find something else that's a little more uh, stable for their family. But it, but we did 69 contracts in the last seven days, and 61 came on the market in the last seven days. Of the 69, how many were cash? Uh, that I would have to give me a minute to look. I can do that for you. I, I never want to come on here and sound like I'm trying to be a commercial for my company. But the one thing I will mention about appraisers and diversification, there are a lot of appraisers in the area. Uh, most of them only do lending work and mortgage work. Um, that's those, How about the ones that specialize in the refi? Yeah, I mean, if, if all you're doing is lending work, then, you know, when it slows down like it has, it really hurts those firms. Um, I'm, I always tell my clients and, and potential clients, be careful who you're hiring for your private work because if all they ever do is, you know, Fannie and Freddie and FHA-type work, they may not understand, you know, how to appraise a property that's not being dictated by the lender because the lenders have very specific rules and, and things that they require. Uh, those things, don't, they're not applicable when you get into private work. You know, if I'm doing a conservation easement or I'm doing a date of death for a You might a want state, to explain what a conservation easement is. I don't think a lot of folks understand. Yeah, that. we actually talked about possibly talking about the day because, you know, when you get into the luxury market, conservation easements are pretty common. So a conservation easement is where you have agreed to donate the rights to your property to a third party like the Virginia Outdoors Foundation or something like that. Uh, they basically become the steward of the property. But say you've got a 50-acre you know, piece of property, um, you, you basically are putting an easement on the property saying that you're never going to develop it. That property then will be taken out in perpetuity from being able to be part of the development corridor or wherever. Um, they're very common in Keswick, very common uh, like in Free Union and, and, and places like that. Albemarle County is actually the most conserved county in the Commonwealth now with Loudoun County coming right behind them. It used to be Loudoun for, for many, many years, and then Albemarle was second. But now uh, Albemarle has, has taken over the most conservation easements. Uh, but basically what you're doing is you're limiting that property from ever being developed in the future. So um, the, the exception being, you know, for public use or condemnation, if a, a road project comes through, they, of course, can... Uh, a park. Yeah, I mean, if it's for the public good, then the property can't be taken. But what it does is it puts the owner of the property in a position where they can actually um, they can sell the tax credits. So they get, they'll be able to, whatever value loss they have, they can actually um, they get a tax credit for the IRS and for Virginia, uh, for the state. My mentor did that. He, uh, he did that, put his farm um, in the Keswick area in conservation easement. Mm-hmm. Um, but does that impact value? It can. Um, in some cases, you're giving up something. It's irreversible. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, we for say it's irreversible part. for now. We'll yeah. see what happens over the next 100 years as, yeah. as we need more land. Um, well, but, I won't be here, so. Yeah. I think that could impact value. Similar, similar category of covenants and restrictions impacting value. So, like, uh, we were talking, um, if you're right, like, we're 250 on Ivy Road. There's some property right there that's under conservation easement. That property is, would be ripe for development. So if you put that into conservation easement, the value impact of that's going to be more significant than if you're going out to the middle of the Keswick Hunt where everything is under conservation easement. Right. You put a, you put a property where everything contiguous to it's already under conservation easement into one, that may not affect the value whatsoever because th- that property was never going to be developed anyway. That's the whole purpose why VOF and these. So mm-hmm. our county, Colonial Circle, 
the property across from Colonial Circle is a thousand acres. Mm -hmm. All of it's in VOF. All of it is in a conservation right. easement. So that will never, you know, never is a big word, but I, I don't think I'll be long gone and forgotten before that even gets considered to be developed. On your cash question, Jerry, um, so pending we can't look because it hasn't closed, but I looked at what closed in the last seven days, and I do this regularly. Um, what well, is about 20, 20 to 25%? Pretty damn close. Yeah. Forty-three units closed. Ten of them were, were cash. So, mm. and but what's what you're to my point? What you're starting to see that used to be in the thirties, yeah. right? And that is starting to tick back a little bit. And I've been tracking it week over week. Um, I just think cash is kind of starting to well, work. The folks that were able to do it have done it. Well, my biggest book of business on the lending side right now, we just took on a new client that does wealth management for one of the big uh, lenders, and. Um, it's not just bespoke real estate. I mean, they have investment properties that they buy as well. And so they buy a lot of property around the region at four, five, six hundred um, $600,000. That's a big part of our, our work right now. Um, and it, that's not, um, you know, they're, they're not going to be using any type of financing for that. They generally are just using investment instruments to borrow against. So it's love, considered cash. Absolutely love always sitting here talking to you. We got more. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Let's keep it going. Okay. Uh, Michael Coyle. Uh, we do, Jerry, we do shed conservation easements all the time. People basically are conserving the view provided by their property. Mm. Uh, John Copulus? Yeah, John Cobb. He now has a group on Facebook. He's hyping that. Ask called, the appraiser. Ask the appraiser. Over 50,000 people are members of that now. It says my national that's, that's Facebook group has... Shed. And my national Facebook group has 30 of the best appraisers in the country on it. And we are marketing to over 50,000 agents. So those 30 then now become the go-to appraiser for all agents and their clients. This is how we appraisers get private work. Ask the appraiser. Woody is a huge part of our group. He is like the godfather of the group. <laughs> He's asking that question. Uh, next time I'm up to New York, John, I have to take you to Peter Luger's. Ooh. Oh. Um, Woody's page is blowing up right now. Um, the appraisers come out when Woody is watching the program. Uh, Jason Howard is asking if we're seeing any upgrades to HVA systems in light of the wildfires that impacted the area. I would, perhaps I can answer that question. I don't, I don't see a significant upgrade to HVA systems tied to those wildfires. No, it's, mm -hmm. it, they get upgraded if they're old. Right. Yeah. That's about it. Right. Um, and anyone that's done that recently, um, which we have, it's not cheap. Nope. Yeah, we just did one one zone of our home that has two zones, and it was well over ten grand just for that one zone. I just one zone. did the land trust house, which is thirteen hundred square feet, and, and and twisted the guy's arm a little bit. It's a guy I've done business with forever. Sixty five hundred bucks, brand new, brand new hmm. HVAC system. Um, Joe Meyer, watching the program, he says, Keith, we need more brokers like you in the real estate world. Oh, thank you. And Keith's down there in the New Orleans area. Uh, I'm not Keith, but uh, Joe, good friend. Um, uh, and if anybody's ever uh, going to go down there and wants to eat well, good call oh, Joe. Joe, Joe. Joe knows that place. So well. my favorite, Keith will take him up on that. My favorite U.S. city is New Orleans. Yeah. Wow, that's that a, is my favorite. It's high price for Nola. I, uh, it's a magical place. That's for you sure. Know, where else can you eat really, really well? Drink really, really well. And listen to some freaking awesome music. <laughs> yep. I mean, I think there's other places you could do that, but uh, I know New Orleans I know, does embody that. I don't know. It's Austin's a, a good place as well, but I mean, Nola oh, had, me, will always me, have my heart. Let me back so. up for a second. Can you walk around Austin with an open container? I don't know. No. There's a lot of places that do allow that. Unfortunately, Charlottesville is not one of them. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that road. 
the Dora. It would be great, Charlottesville. I know you could. did so well, Keith. Laura, Lori Fincham, Woody's beautiful better half in New Orleans is absolutely magical, which is what you just said. Yeah. So when you go there, stay stay on in the in the Garden District. We've been there many many times. I took my daughter there this past July to go see Steve Vai at in New Orleans, and we we had a good time. Actually, Joe and and Mitch and those guys took us fishing. Have you ever been to the Times Festival? I've never been. Oh, I would love to go. You need. That, that and the Voodoo Festival, which is basically the jazz festival in October. Yeah, uh, uh, Mardi Gras is kind of, you need to go out on the outside and, and, and catch the local. If you ever home. want to do a real Mardi Gras, go to Lafayette, uh, which yeah. is in the middle part of the state. That yeah. is like the legit Mardi Gras, and it's scary. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but when you think of Mardi Gras, you think of New Orleans and beads and all that stuff, you know, good time. The the Cajun uh, uh, Mardi Gras is a whole different thing. Am I allowed to open up my mouth down there? I probably should. You probably should. No. Probably should. <laughs> uh, final question for Woody: uh, How accurate are the Zestimates versus actual appraisals? Uh, they're pie in the sky for the most part. I mean, uh, they work really well when you get into a uh, to a homogeneous neighborhood like, say, Forest Lakes or something like that. But when you get into a diverse area where you've got different land sizes and housing styles, they tend to be – just watch his estimate on any property that's actively listed, and then it'll give you one number, and then when it goes under contract and that number is disclosed – uh, it always goes to that number for some reason. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of a... Um, the first number was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a you know, sleight of hand trick get, with it. Get a, get a trusted advisor. Call up yep. Woody. Call up any of the real estate agents watching that. Get a trusted advisor. Get a valuation of your home. These guys understand the market, not, so, not some app. Um, I, I've, since we started the photography question, I've, I, very rarely I, I haven't even looked. get on my phone... I've got about a half a dozen agents basically saying they didn't know it. So, Oh, my goodness. Come on. It's get, in the contract that they signed. Well, no, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I mean, you know. So read your contract, guys. You know, they're, they're just, again, with these cell phones being in everybody's hands now, they just don't think about the fact that photographers are doing something that's it's a piece of art. It's, 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 a, it's a book of business for them. So Those pictures just be careful do not belong to you. They do not belong to the, your client. They belong to the photographer Ask the photographer if you can use them. Nine times out of ten, they'll say, yeah, no yeah. problem. I'll send you an email. You can use it. Even when you get professional headshots done, the photographer still owns your likeness because it's their photography. But their when you're doing a million-dollar plus. your wedding photography. Yeah. They'll sell them to you. They will sell they you They cost the... a ton of money. Right. <laughs> well, I, let me put it this way. I do a fair amount of bike riding, and I probably spend between 100 to $150 because you have to pay that to get oh, yeah. the photos. To get yeah, the watermark off the photo. To get the watermark off the photo. And to get the actual Well, photo. you know, to, to back to that point, just to, to, to miss somebody who may be on the car board, a simple solution to that is for car to allow the photographer to put a, uh, their logo on it or their watermark on it. I don't think it. they should do that. That's going to take away from the marketing of the listing. It'll distract. Well, there's a car. There's a car logo on it. I'm just going to sit over here and be quiet. That's a great. Risk. That's a great. Risk. That's a great touche. Yeah, there's, there's, the there's car a car logo, logo on the bottom on right corner. Yeah, I'll logo. be happy to bring it up at the board. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, Woody Fincham is the best guys. Woody Fincham, Fincham and Associates, Keith Smith of Yes Realty Partners, Judah Wickhauer, the man behind the camera. This is Real Talk with Keith Smith, which is online at realtalkwithkeithsmith.com. Click the Partners tab on the menu bar Please. of Real Talk with Keith Smith. And you'll find the vetted um, suggestions from Keith of who you can trust in real estate. He's been in the business since 1987. 
So his um, vetting process is pretty uh, soup to nuts, full service. I'm still playing with GI Joes when you got in the business. <laughs> but usually he says 1887. 87. I was on a, I was on a Game Boy in 1987. Um, and those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah. Hey. So hey, let's wrap up. Great Tet- show, guys. Tetris on the Game Boy, Woody. Yeah. Um, thank you kindly for joining us, guys. I know what a Game Boy is. Guys, have a good day. Take care. I remember the Game Boy it was the handheld Nintendo. I'm sure your daughter had one. No, we never let the kids kids have Nintendo. Oh.